podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on a Monday, which is the 29th of August. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change location, access things you'd normally be geo-blocked from. So UK expats wanting access to BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, etc., etc., a Liberty Shield VPN is what you need to get where you want to be, watch what you want to watch, and keep that data safe. Go to libertyshield.com right now and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, you'll find them on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Do be sure to listen to A Tad Predictable, which you can find on this feed, and also the EPL Roundtable new episode out this morning. You can find that by searching EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider, hosted by the one and the only Kevin DeVries, who I will be teaming up with hopefully next week, to do our transfer window review and give out grades for the work done by each and every Premier League club. Uh, More on that a little bit later. Anyway, folks, we had 10 games this weekend. Let's run through them. What we had first was Southampton nil, Manchester United won, a Bruno Fernandes goal in the 55th minute. A really nice volley from a good cross by Diogo Delo, giving United the only goal of the game. There is no argument to be made, though. Southampton were the better team in this game and deserved something from it, but the lack of a striker really hurt them here. They bossed the game in midfield. I thought Romeo Lavia was the best player on the pitch. I thought Joe Aribo drifting in between the lines was causing United problems all day. I thought Bella Kotchap and Salisu kept United very, very quiet for the most part. Basunu dealt with what they couldn't deal with. But to be to be fair to United, they did perform quite well. Now, they weren't as good as they were against Liverpool. Not that they were great against Liverpool, but they were pretty good. But they did put up a decent showing. What there was was a lot of panic station defending, which was the same thing we saw against Liverpool. Like a lot of last-ditch stuff, a lot of unnecessary going to ground, a lot of hurried clearances, things of that nature. And that's going to be concerning when they play better teams. And United will have to play better teams in the next few weeks. Now, that win pushes United to eighth in the league, six points from their four games. And coming up for them, they get Leicester on Thursday. 
then they get Arsenal, then they get Crystal Palace, and those are going to be difficult games. Leicester have started the season terribly, and you would have to imagine there is now a lot of pressure on Brendan Rodgers to start getting some results. So Leicester should, should, may not, but should be bang up for that game. It's a home game for Leicester as well. Arsenal will go to Old Trafford as the form team in the league, well, we assume so, depending on what happens in midweek. But the way Arsenal are playing, they will cause United massive trouble. And then Crystal Palace at Selhurst is going to be very, very difficult. If Palace play the way that they played against Villa, Palace will carve this United defence apart. So, tough games coming for United, but Eric Ten Hag can be happy with back-to-back wins. Southampton, it's four points from four games. Defeat against Spurs, defeat against United, draw with Leeds, and they beat Leicester. Uh, Up next for them, Chelsea at home, that's a tough one. Wolves away, that's a tough one. And then Brentford at home, which won't be easy, but is the easiest of the three and is one they need to target to win. Off the back of that, they get Villa away and Everton at home. So, you know, maybe they can string together three good results in a row there and continue their push for survival, lower mid-table, whatever it is Southampton have uh, aims for this season. Moving on then, Chelsea 2, Leicester 1. Chelsea down to 10 men on 28 minutes. Conor Gallagher sent off foolishly. Um, just got caught. A little bit of a lack of, of a real burst of pace. Found himself in no man's land. Had to commit the foul, but it's unfortunate. Two yellow cards. And you'd wonder if that's the last time we'll actually see him for Chelsea because there are rumours surrounding him and a potential move away. Raheem Sterling put... Chelsea 1-up on 47 minutes, just into the second half. Uh, His shot from the edge of the box took a nick off a defender, looped up and over the keeper and into the top corner. He doubled the lead on 63 minutes with a nice tidy finish from good work by Rhys James. Uh, Three minutes later, Harvey Barnes dragged Leicester back into the game. Really nice finish, made Thiago Silva look very, very slow, finished with his left foot past Mendy. But Leicester, I mean, when you play 75 minutes or 76 minutes, whatever it was in total, against 10 men, and you managed to lose not just the game, but even that period of the game, 2-1, because it was nil-nil when the red card happened. To lose that game, that's very, very poor from Leicester. And yes, they can point to having had more shots, more shots on target, more of the ball, but most of the possession was just aimless stuff. So. The pressure continues to mount on Brendan Rodgers. Leicester's fans are not happy at all. It's a good win for Chelsea. They needed a good result after what happened at Leeds. Uh, Seven points for them now. And they sit sixth in the league. Like I said, they go to Southampton midweek. Then West Ham at home in a big London derby. Then they're away to Fulham. And then they have Liverpool at home. So... That's going to be a tough enough four-game run for them. They've also got two Champions League games to deal with in that time. The season's about to get very condensed for the teams in Europe. 
Uh, for Leicester, they are bottom of the league. One point from four games. Unacceptable for the talent that's there. Like I said, they've got United at home midweek. They have to win that game. Then they get Brighton at home. Sorry, Brighton away, which will be tough. And then Villa at home. They've got to win those two home games. They've got to win those two home games. If they don't, Rodgers will need to go. It's as simple as that. He will need to go. They can't afford to continue to have a bad start. This is a team. This is a club with ambitions of being in Europe every season. And if you fall that far behind that early, you're not catching back up. For the next game, then, we move on to Brighton 1, Leeds 0, the hipster classic. Um, Graham Potter's men, 1-0 winners over Jesse Marsh. Pascal Grouse with the only goal of the game on 66. This was what we expected to expected it to be, an entertaining game with a lot of good football played. I thought, once again, McAllister and Casado were excellent in the centre of the park for this um, this Brighton team who continue to lack that real goal threat. But Grouse has had a great start to the season. And if he can continue to play this way, maybe he can carry the burden. I have doubts because it's not something he's shown himself to be capable of doing before. He's got three goals so far this season. Um, his Premier League best is seven. That was in his first season at Brighton. And since then, three is the highest he's managed. In his career, seven is also the highest. He's done it in the first season with Brighton. And in the last season in the second division of the German league, the two Bundesliga with Ingolstadt. Or Ingolstadt. Um. So, you know, he's not a big-time goal scorer and they probably shouldn't be expecting that he'll carry on this form. One interesting little thing to note, he's only ever scored one non-league goal, like one goal in other competitions in his entire career. That's quite unusual. Never scored in a cup. Scored one for Karlsruhe. And it was 11 years ago. Anyway, bit of a tangent. Um, big win for Brighton. And Brighton have had a great start to the season. Three wins and a draw, 10 points, fourth in the league. Um, or if, if you're Gary Neville, joint second. Um, up next for them, Fulham away. Difficult task because Fulham are, are playing fairly well. Then they get Leicester at home. And then it's Bournemouth in what is... Uh, you know, a should-win game for basically everybody in the division now. Um, for Leeds, they've also had a really good start, and they're fifth in the league. They've got seven points, two wins, a draw, and a defeat. Uh, next for them is Everton at home. It's a game they should win. Then they go to Brentford, and then they get Forest at home. So these are three games in which they can look to pick up points. Then they get United. And again, they can go there and be confident that they could get something. Then they get Villa at home. So there's a little run coming up here for Leeds where they can keep racking up points and maybe put a lot more of the doubters um, into a corner because people were 
having some serious conversations about whether Leeds would survive this year under Jesse Marsh. And thus far, they're not just surviving. They're they're thriving. They're playing really well. Um, Manchester City, four. Crystal Palace, two. John Stones put, put Palace one up with an own goal on four minutes. Nothing he could really do about it. Yucky Manderson made it two from an Eberichi Eze header. Sorry, an Eberichi Eze corner. His, uh, Anderson's header made it two on 21 minutes. The first half was really flat, but they were the only two shots that Palace had in the entire game. Which isn't great. Um, went into halftime 2 0. City came out in the second half and just tore them apart. Bernardo Silva scored on 53, and then Erling Haaland, who had done absolutely nothing to that point, he had been awful. Um, he scored on 62, 70, and 81, his first Premier League hat trick, and City win 4 2. Now, there were two moments of major controversy in this game. Palace were 2 0 up, and Ederson went to roll the ball out. The ball had left his hand, and Edouard put his foot out and blocked the ball from going wherever it was that Ederson was trying to, to send it. It fell to the feet of Ayu, who tapped it home from 18 yards with the keeper and the defenders appealing. The referee blew his whistle before the ball hit the net, so I don't think it could be reviewed by VAR. I think that's the case now. We'll wait for Dale Johnson's. Um, we'll wait for Dale Johnson's thread later on today. But I thought it was a perfectly fine goal. It was the same thing that happened in the Champions League final a couple of years ago, where Carius went to throw the ball out, and Benzema stuck his foot out. Just seems a little bit strange to me that the referee blew his whistle. Now, whether he thought the ball hadn't left Ederson's hands or not, I don't know, but it had. Uh, the second moment then involved Erling Haaland. Ball played up in the air, and rather than compete for it with his head like a normal person, Haaland stuck his left foot up and kicked Jokey Manderson in the head and didn't even get booked for it. We've seen players sent off for such dangerous play he didn't even get booked so those two incidents were quite odd um but look city get the win and move on because that's what city do they win games and move forward uh they're second in the league with 10 points coming up for city forest at home midweek then a trip to villa and then spurs at home in what should be a really interesting game They've also got Sevilla to take care of in the Champions League. And then Dortmund is after the Tottenham game. Uh, for Palace, I think they'll be a little bit disappointed that they didn't follow through on such a really good first half. They currently sit 12th in the league with four points. No, sorry, is that three points? That is four points, yeah, four points. Yeah, winning a draw, of course. Um... They've got Brentford at home next, then they go to Newcastle, and then they get Manchester United at home. They're all games that they can take something from. Now, the Newcastle one will be tough, but Newcastle have some injuries mounting up, so you never know. 
They should be looking to beat Brentford and they should look to beat United when United come to play at Selhurst. Moving on. Brentford won, Everton won in one of the duller games of the weekend. Now, Brentford did largely outplay Everton. Everton's goal came from Anthony Gordon on 24 minutes. A, a Connor Cody long ball over the top, which seems to be Everton's only real route, route to goal, is that long ball over the top for a pacey winger to run onto. It's a good finish by Anthony Gordon, and I would like to uh, to be among the first to congratulate him on scoring the first non-deflected, on-purpose goal of his career. Um, it took him 64 Premier League games. No, sorry, I'm, I'm wrong. 64 Everton games. Uh, 53 Premier League games. Or you could say that it took him 75 senior games of football uh, to score his first non-deflected, on-purpose goal. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the other goals that he scored in his career. Brentford came back. They should have been at level. An Ivan Tony header hit the post, and then I think it was Wissa made an absolute mess of the follow-up. Vitali Vitali Janot equalised an 84. Corner to Brentford. Keen Lewis Potter got a flick on and Yano tapped home from short range. Brentford deserved at least a point. Everton will be thrilled with the point. Everton are 18th. They have two points in the league. They've drawn back-to-back games. They've got Leeds away next. Then they play Liverpool at home. Then they go to Arsenal. Then they play West Ham. So they might not get any more points for the next few games. Their run is quite difficult. It really is. It's quite hard to see where points come for this Everton team because they're not very good. Um, For Brentford, they are 10th in the league with five points, which is a decent start for them, obviously. As mentioned, they play Palace next, then it's Leeds at home and then Southampton away. So, you know, games against teams who should be in and around them come the end of the season. So games that they won't want to get beaten in. Games that it's kind of important to take at least a point from. Because the Premier League is all about mini-leagues, really. You've got your top four. Well, really, you've got a top two who compete for the league. Then you've got teams competing for top four. I think there's three teams competing for third and fourth this year. Then you've got one of them will go into a Europa League spot. You've got the other Europa League spot and a Conference League spot. And you've probably got four teams who realistically have an opportunity to get those two positions. And that's your top nine in the league, those teams. And then you've got sort of the 10th to 15th sort of range where you're comfortable, you're not in the relegation battle. It's all just about pride, really. And if you can get that top half spot, it can be quite meaningful from a you know a building momentum type of thing to or like even for Brighton last year to finish in the top half of the Premier League for the first time was a huge milestone for them and something that they've obviously taken a lot of confidence a lot of pride from and then you've got your bottom five and that is your relegation group 
So this is basically how the Premier League breaks down. And for Brentford, I would say they're probably likely to be in that sort of 10th to 15th group. I don't think they'll be in the relegation scrap. I don't think they will. But I don't think they're good enough to be in that kind of battling for Europe's uh, group either. Um, anyway, Liverpool 9, Bournemouth 0. Liverpool just destroyed them from start to finish. Diaz, Elliot, Trent, Firmino, Van Dijk, Amethamon goal, Firmino again, Carvalho and Diaz again giving Liverpool a joint record Premier League win. 19 shots, 12 on target. Salah missed two sitters that didn't go on target and would have been goals if he'd got them on target. Uh, 70% possession. Um, Liverpool were just so dominant in this game, it wasn't even funny. Uh, Great morale-boosting win for a team that had obviously started the season Really poorly. Liverpool are now ninth in the league, which isn't ideal, but we move. Uh, up next for them, Newcastle at home in the week, then Everton away, and then Wolves at home. So two two difficult home games either side of a trip to the local derby. Uh, they've also got Napoli away to consider in that period of time as well. So that's not easy. Not easy at all. Uh, they need midfields reinforcements and they need them quickly ideally you'd like them being unveiled before the Newcastle game on the pitch waving holding up a flag whatever it takes um Bournemouth I'm sorry they just don't look like a Premier League team they look like a team destined for a very quick return to the championship they've got Wolves at home in midweek then they go to Forest and then they've got Brighton at home they're going to have to get points from those games. They're going to have to. But it, it looks like a bit of a lost cause. I mean, you felt like City could have done six or seven against them. You felt like Arsenal could have put six or seven past them. And Liverpool just went out and put nine past them because Liverpool were angry. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get absolutely battered like that a couple more times. I don't know that they'll they'll concede nine again, but it wouldn't be a surprise if there's multiple sixes and sevens um, across the season. It really wouldn't. Moving on then to the last game on Saturday, Arsenal 2, Fulham 1. Um, Mitrovic put Fulham 1 up on 56. Odegaard equalised, actually, the Mitrovic goal, by the way. Gabriel, what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing? You've got loads of space, loads of it, and plenty of options to play the ball to. You're under no pressure. That entire situation was of his own doing. Um, Martin Odegaard equalised with a deflected shot on 64. Now, the angle behind Odegaard, it looks like it probably would have gone where he wanted it to go, which was into one corner and been a goal, but the deflection took it into the other corner. So I, I think it would have been a goal either way without the deflection. It looked like Fulham were going to hold on for a draw. And to be fair, 
they probably did deserve a draw because they defended really well. They did cause the Arsenal problems getting forward. They had a couple of big chances. Mitrovic had a great headed opportunity. Ramsdale made a good save. But it was Gabriel who scored to make a 2-1 to Arsenal. Now, they checked this for a handball. They didn't seem to check it for a foul on the keeper. William Saliba jumped arse first into the goalkeeper. And it wasn't given. And Leno dropped it at the feet of Gabriel, who tapped it home. Um, it, it seemed to me like a foul on the keeper, but whatever. Um, Fulham got one more chance, but Nathaniel Chalaba couldn't finish from 12 yards out. Uh, another decent save by Ramsdale. So Arsenal are top 12 points, the only 100% record. And they get Villa in the week, so they should carry on that form. Then they get United, then they get Everton. At some point, they're going to have to play real teams. Uh, they play Zurich and Arsenal. Sorry, Zurich and PSV in the Europa League. Their season, their schedule is incredibly favourable up until the end of September. Up until the international break in September. Arsenal's schedule is just incredibly favourable. But then they get Tottenham and Liverpool in back-to-back Premier League games. And both of them are at home. Then they also get City in October at home. But what that does mean is they have to play them away in the back half of the season, which makes it much tougher. Um, anyway, credit to them. Four wins from four. Fulham are 11th. That's their first defeat of the season, which is a decent return for them. Uh, they get Brighton next, then they get Tottenham away, and then Chelsea at home. So, difficult run coming up for Fulham. On to Sunday, Wolves won, Newcastle won. I've seen some weird conflicting views on, on this game. Uh, I saw a Newcastle fan say that they absolutely battered them and Wolves didn't get a kick. I saw Wolves fans say, well, we were the better team. Uh, I actually did think Wolves were slightly the better team, but Newcastle did dominate possession. But I thought that was due to how Wolves set up. And Wolves were cutting them apart on the counter. So I'm not really sure how people can have such widely differing views on, on what took place. Ruben Neves scored for Wolves on 38 minutes. Great goal from outside the box. And then Alan St. Maximum with a stunning equaliser in the 90th minute. Um, Newcastle came in fancy dress for this game. Uh, they dressed up as the Saudi Arabian national team, which I thought was was an interesting thing. There is no world in which the black and white stripes of Newcastle conflicts with the gold coloration of the Wolves jersey. So I'm not sure why they came dressed as Saudi Arabia. Um, Wolves only two points they are 19th but those results don't reflect how Wolves have played they really don't I mean they deserve at least a point against both Leeds and Tottenham they've been good in their games this season so they've got Bournemouth next they've got to go and win that one get a win on the board and get your season up and running then they get Southampton at home again that's one they should win then it gets difficult. Then they get Liverpool, City, West Ham and Chelsea in a row. 
I think they will take points in at least two of those games. Maybe only one point in two games, so two points overall. But I do think they'll take points. I don't see them losing four in a row. Um, the Toon are seventh. They've got six points. They're unbeaten. Liverpool away in the week. Then Palace home. Then West Ham away. That's a difficult run, especially with the injuries mounting up. Gamerish apparently going to miss the next few games. Callum Wilson out. St. Maximum potentially out. They're going to need Isak to hit the ground running because uh, Chris Wood looks about as far from a Premier League striker as it's possible to be. Really don't know what's going on with him. Aston Villa nil, West Ham won. Villa were awful. Jesus, they were awful. West Ham weren't good either, but Pablo Fernals made it 1-0 on 74 minutes. His shot took a deflection off Esri Conza and looped over Martinez. Conza had had a goal disallowed in the first half. A Lucadinho corner to Phil Coutinho headed onto the post and Conza tapped home from a yard out, but Dinho's corner had gone out of play and the goal was rightly ruled out. Um, Villa were just awful. Genuinely. And this is starting to get ugly. Like, Gerard has not improved them at all. Not at all. They're averaging 1.2 points per game in the Premier League under Gerard, which gets you about 47 points on a Premier League season. That's enough for 12th or 13th. They finished 11th the year before he took over. His run in his 31 league games since taking over is about the same as Dean Smith's last 31 games. And Gerrard inherited a much better squad and had far less turnover than Dean Smith did. They look tactically inept. Nobody really seems to know what they're meant to be doing. He seems now completely beholden to John McGinn, who is playing dreadfully. I mean, Douglas Luiz, Bubakar Kamara and Jacob Ramsey should be their midfield right now. And he continues to play McGinn. Um, Coutinho just looks, he looks finished. He does, he looks finished. It's really sad to see. Um, he got injured as well, which, you know, another blow for Villa. Um, I've seen a few West Ham fans getting a little bit antsy about Moyes as well. Now, I think you might want to pump the brakes there a little bit and remember where you were before he took over. He has made you significantly better. Um, first win of the season for West Ham, and they are 16th now in the table. They have a difficult run coming, though. They get Tottenham at home, Chelsea away, and then Newcastle at home. So. That's going to be tough. They get Stoya Bucharest as well in between them in the Conference League. I know they're trying to get at least one more deal done before the window closes, and the Lucas Paqueta deal is done, just waiting on that one to be announced. So one on top of him. Um, but they need to get their act together. They really do. They need to go and beat one of Tottenham or Chelsea and really start to make a bit of noise because they spend a lot of money. And uh, it's time for it's time for you know them to wake up into this season. 
Villa just look they just look a lost cause right now. They really do. And they play Arsenal next, then City, then they're away to Leicester. Those are like Leicester at bottom of the league right now. But by the time they play Leicester, Leicester could either need a new manager or be absolutely desperate for a result, making that a much tougher game than it would be if they played tomorrow, say. And this funny with Gerard, you know, you take out the sort of the new manager bounce, that first six games where everything is positive and everybody's thrilled and players are really committed. Villa won six. Sorry, Villa won four of their first six games under Steven Gerrard in the league. Four of their first six. In the 25 since, they've only won six. So take out that new manager bounce and look at what the rest of it is. It really has not been good from Aston Villa. It really has not been good. Their only win this season was against Everton. Funnily enough, Bournemouth's only win was against Villa. So you've got Parker beating Gerrard, Gerrard beating Lampard, and Lampard hasn't beaten anybody. Um, whisper it, don't even whisper it, shout it from the rooftops. None of these three are good managers. Not now. Gerrard needs to take a couple of steps down, go to the championship, go to League One, learn how to be a manager. Uh, Lampard needs to do the same. Parker's proven he can manage in the championship. But can he manage in the championship without having one of the biggest budgets? That'll be the question to really ask. Um, but Villa looked decrepit at the minute. And last game then, Nottingham Forest nil, Tottenham 2, Harry Kane in the 5th and 81st minute. Outside of those minutes, it was a really even game. Forest had a couple of good chances. Uh, couldn't get anything on target. It was a really wasteful finishing. Um, Tottenham missed a penalty. The biggest takeaway from this game for me is that Steve Cook can't play in the Premier League and Steve Cooper needs to stop picking him. He cannot play in the Premier League. We we saw it when he played for Bournemouth. He is just absolutely miles out of his depth. Miles out of his depth. I thought a strange team selection from... Cooper, uh, going with Johnson, Gibbs-White and Lingard as a front three and no striker. But I'm guessing he was trying to exploit the lack of pace, you know, in this, in central areas from Tottenham. And at times I thought they did. I thought they gave a decent account of themselves, but Steve Cook was just so, so poor. Uh, Dean Henderson's penalty save from, from Kane was one of the highlights of the game. But the real highlight of the game was Richarlison trying to do keepy-uppies. Get, passing the ball, getting it back, and then Brennan Johnson just kicking up in the air. Um, nothing wrong with doing the keepy-uppies, but absolutely right to kick him up in the air. And, uh, yeah, that is it. So, Tottenham are third in the league, 10 points, uh, level with City, level with Brighton, two points behind Arsenal. They get West Ham, then they get Fulham, and then it's City in what is the first really big game of the season. Uh, they've got Marseille in the Champions League as well. 
to negotiate. But three home games in a row, Tottenham, Marseille and City, is at least uh, favourable. I'm sorry, City games away. So Tottenham, Marseille and their way to City, it makes it a little bit tougher. Um, but Tottenham did beat City twice last season. Um, for Forest, four points thus far. They're, they're fine. Um, they'll be happy enough. 14th in the league, if you gave them that, they'd take it. Uh, City away in the week, they're not going to expect much from that game. Then they get Bournemouth at home. That's a game they'll expect to win. And then it is Leeds away. And then Fulham at home. So these are three games they should be looking to take points from. Because I think they're going to look to be in that group as well. It may be more realistic that they finish 16th. That they're like the top of the relegation group. But they'll be looking to finish above that. And uh, they continue to be really, really ambitious in the transfer market. And that is it. That is our 10 games. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the latest news and the gossip and we'll be done for the day. I'll see you soon. Right, welcome back. So I was just having a bit of a think about John McGinn. And uh, Gerard continuing to pick him. He did name him captain in the summer. And the midfield hasn't worked this season for them. And you'd just like to see him be brave and try something a little bit different. Like, he's tried Luis, Kamara and McGinn. It hasn't worked. He's tried Ramsey, Kamara and McGinn. It hasn't worked. You'd like to see him try Luis, Kamara and Ramsey and see what he can get from that. But it got me thinking of how many Premier League captains actually deserve to be starting for the club that they are supposed to lead. So let's go through them. So the Arsenal captain is Martin Odegaard. Bit of a strange choice. He's not a vocal leader, but he does lead by example. And he seems quite a a calm, level-headed person. He's absolutely warranting of his position in the Arsenal team. He is an excellent player, and there's no doubts over him. Then we get John McGinn, who, for me, I'm just not sure he should be starting for Aston Villa. I'm not sure he's better than Ramsey or McGinn. I think they might be more effective players than him, and potentially more intelligent players than him as well. Um, So... He's one, I would suggest, shouldn't be starting. At least not every single week. He shouldn't be a nailed-on starter just because he wears an armband. Um, next up then, Lloyd Kelly at Bournemouth. I think absolutely he warrants a place in that Bournemouth team. Now, you can argue it's because his teammates aren't very good, but I think Lloyd Kelly's actually a decent defender. I prefer him as a left-back or left side of a three rather than as a centre-back in a back four. Uh, and I, I suspect he will play either left side of a three or left back when he's back from this injury because they've brought in Sinisi. Um, Pontus Janssen. As things currently stand, when Asia comes back, does he warrant a place in the team? Over Ben Mee? I'm not really sure. If they go to a back three, then he does. 
But again, I think in an ideal world, he probably doesn't. I think you probably have just better than him. But for now, it's fine. Lewis Dunk absolutely warrants his place. Aspilicueta isn't a regular starter for Chelsea and shouldn't be a regular starter for Chelsea. Uh, same goes for uh, Milivojevic at Palace. Isn't and shouldn't be a regular starter. The same goes for Seamus Coleman. The same goes for Tom Kearney. Liam Cooper's out injured. He was a regular starter when fit last year, but shouldn't be. He's a championship-level player. Um, at this point in his career, Johnny Evans shouldn't be first choice for Leicester. But the Fafana thing, the inability to recruit this summer, Sayonchu's collapse from really good defender to really bad defender, which is just a bizarre direction for his career to take means that right now Evans should be starting because there's just nobody else. Um, Jordan Henderson should not be starting for Liverpool. Ilkay Gundogan should be starting for City. Harry Maguire should not be starting. Jamal Lachelles should not be starting. Joe Worrell is getting a little bit exposed in that back three. And I think if they can get the Willy Bolly deal across the line, I think they should play Worrell in the middle of the back three. I just think when you play him right side of a four with Nico Williams as his wing back, there's a lot of space there that he's been asked to cover and he's a little bit a little bit slow and he's struggling a little bit. He is a very good player. He, he is good enough to play in that team. Ward-Prowse should be starting. Lloris should be starting. Rice, obviously, and Neves, obviously. So, one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine plus Pontus Janssen, who deserve a spot in the team every single week. Odegaard, Kelly, Dunk, Gundogan, Worrell, Oh, sorry, eight plus Warrell, Ward, Prowse. Hang on a sec. Odegaard, Kelly, Dunk, Gundigan, Warrell, Ward, Prowse, Larice, Rice, and Neves. So, yeah, nine plus Pontus Janssen, who, as things currently stand at Brentford, probably d- does deserve or is good enough to start or is better than the alternatives at the club. But in every other case they shouldn't be there's the johnny evans situation as well but there's at least nine captains who should not be starting for their clubs that's really strange and probably shows that we just don't have the same caliber of captains that we had in the league 20 years ago 15 years ago even 10 years ago probably Like, there's a few there that actively make their teams worse when they play. Now, whether it's that managers are hesitant to change captains, I don't know. Like, Arteta appointed Odegaard. That was Arteta's. Did Arteta appoint Aubameyang? I don't think he did. I think that was Emery, wasn't it? 
I think it was Emery when Xhaka did that thing where he had this tantrum. But Arteta has picked Odegaard. Gerard picked McGinn. Parker picked Kelly. Frank picked Janssen. Dunk was captain before Potter got there. Aspilicueta was captain before Tuchel got there. Milivojevic before Vieira. Coleman before Lampard. Kearney before Silva. Cooper before Marsh. Johnny Evans was picked by Brendan Rodgers. Henderson was captain before Klopp got there. Pep picked Gundogan. Maguire before Ten Hag. Lachelle's before Howe. Cooper picked Worrell, I think. Could be wrong. No, maybe he didn't. Um, Hassan Hull picked Ward-Prowse. Larice outdates Conte. Moyes picked Rice. Lage picked Neves. There's no real pattern there as to whether it's, you know, managers have taken over. Because some of them have appointed a captain who shouldn't be in the team. Um, either way, there's a lot of Premier League captains who just really shouldn't be getting games, getting regular starts for the club that they're captain of, which is just a, a strange situation. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Mika Richards' column. This will be Brain of Britain stuff. Ex-Aston Villa defender says Steven Gerrard will turn it around. I am a firm believer that fans have every right to voice frustration if their team dipped below the levels expected. But I thought the reaction at the end of Aston Villa's home defeat by West Ham on Sunday was a little bit over the top. The Premier League season is four games old. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Like, this is... This is somebody defending a mate. And this is the problem with Gerrard and Lampard and the likes of Parker, is that they've all got mates who are now pundits. Like, Lampard did a horrendous job at Chelsea. Ne never got criticised by pundits. Oli did an appalling job at United. Never got any criticism from most of the pundits. And it'll be the same thing with Gerrard. No matter how bad things get, the players will get the blame. Now, the players do deserve some of the blame, but Gerard has done an awful job since taking over. An absolutely awful job. I think I said it last week or the week before. His record at Villa is worse than Gary Neville's at Valencia. It's dreadful. And it's not surprising to see you know, a former England teammate um, standing up for his pal. Renan Lodi has signed for Nottingham Forest on loan from Atletico Madrid. I cannot believe they've gotten this deal done. This guy's really, really good. Like, really, really good. I know they got Omar Richards, but this is an upgrade on him. This is a significant upgrade on him. This is a real quality player. This is a Brazilian international. A fellow who, if he's performing, could end up going to the World Cup. He's got 15 caps. He was a regular in the squad last year. He's largely been 
very good for Atleti. Um, his form did dip last season. And Simeone's made a decision to go and bring in Sergio Regulon and let him leave. So uh, it's a loan with an option to buy. I'm not sure what the price is, but I think it's a great signing for Forrest. And they may well have another one on the way with Willie Bolly. Uh, apparently, Bolly didn't turn up for Wolves' game at the weekend, which is just disgraceful behaviour. Um, he was named in the squad, didn't turn up. Laj, to be you know fair to him, has come out and said he's been a great professional, but in the end, he wants to force something. He, he, I just think that's really poor form from Willie Bolly. And look, if he goes to um, if he goes to Forest, uh, he will help them in the short term. But he's not he's not a Premier League quality starter. He'd just be depth. That's all you could really want him at, as is depth. And he can be depth until, you know, he can start until uh, Niakata comes back, maybe. Plenty of experience playing in the back three and did obviously play on the right of a back three for years with Wolves, with Romain Sice on the other side and Cody in the middle. He's also played on the left of the three. So, yeah, he can add versatility. But that's that's really poor form, not showing up. Um Hold your laughter. Manchester United have agreed a deal for Anthony. Eighty-five million pounds. Ninety-five million euro. Let's get a currency converter. It's ninety-five million euro guaranteed plus five million euro in add-ons. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's 81, 81 million sterling to begin with, and then four point two million in add-ons. So all told, yeah, it's an eighty-five million pound deal for a thirty-five million pound winger. Um, this is a ridiculous overpay, an absolutely ludicrous move by Manchester United. Remember, go back in the summer. United were quoted sixty-one million for him in July, and said it was too expensive, and walked away from the deal to pursue other targets. This is ludicrous. If he absolutely lit the Eredivisie on fire, you'd be like, you know, what? Fair enough. He's been by far the best player in that league. He hasn't even been the best player at Ajax. Last season, he got eight league goals and four assists. The season before, he got nine league goals. This really is not impressive. He's very gifted on the ball. There's no doubt he's very, very gifted on the ball. But this is an outrageous overpay for a player who really doesn't contribute nearly enough 25 goals and 22 assists in 82 appearances in the Eredivisie I think they're going to regret this I saw a tweet yesterday sent by some fella in late 2019 
Anthony was being linked with, with moves to Europe at that point from Sao Paulo. He moved to Ajax in um, January of, or he signed for Ajax in the February of 2020. Didn't actually, um, don't think he made his debut until the September. I think they signed him six months in advance or whatever it was. Um, and this fella said, this is the type of player who'll have one good season in the Eredivisie and be linked to Man United for 80 million. And that is exactly what's happened here. Now, I've seen some people say, oh, well, Ten, uh, Ten Hag knows him and Ten Hag has been responsible for his development. What's he developed into so far? You know, he does some fancy tricks and there's not a whole lot of end product. Like, we're not seeing all this ta- this this um, talent regularly show up on the pitch. To give you some names of people who scored more goals than him last season, uh, Sebastian Haller, Luis Openda, Vangelis Pavlidis, Ricky Van Wolfswingle, Jasper Carlson, Gus Hill. Gus Hill, by the way, is a central midfield player. Uh, Jürgen Strand Larsen, Brian Linson, Dusan Tadic, Zian Fleming, Cody Gakbo, Luis Sinistera, and more. All of those scored 12 or more. He got eight. Uh, some names of people with more assists than him Dusan Tadic, Cody Gakbo, Jesper Carlson, Stephen Berghuis, Joey Verman, Owen Windell, a left back, Orkan Kaku. Isan Issa Kalon, Brian Linson, and Ricky Van Wolfswingle, and more. The lowest there got eight. He got four. Would you be paying 85 million for any of them? Could you get all of them for 85 million? Like, I always remember when. Johan Bakesh had that incredible season for AZ Alkmaar. His last season there. 21 goals, 12 assists. The best player in the, the league that season. And Brighton paid, I think, 16 million for him. Now, he was a bit older, obviously, than, than Anthony is. He was, he was 25. So three years is is a decent amount, but sixteen million for a guy who had been the best player in the league that season, top goal scorer, third in assists, he'd just been sensational. And I just sixteen million, and he came to the Premier League and flopped. And we've seen loads of players come from this league and flop. And I just like if he starts trying to do that pirouette thing in front of the likes of Cucurella, he's going to put him in the stands. Andy Robertson's going to put him on, on the roof of a stand. There's, it, it's just such a massive overpay. If he was 40 million, 45 million, you could say, well, look, he's a young player that they can develop. And worst case scenario, they might make the money back. 
this kid is going to need to be one of the best players in the league to warrant the type of money. And when you pay that type of money, you're going to need... Now, he doesn't need to be 20 and 10 in his first season, but he needs to be good. Like, he needs to be a major contributor straight away. There'll be plenty of flash, and United fans will love it because that Pogba sold them all that crap for years, and they still defend him. But I, I just think this might be the other than unless that Anthony Gordon deal goes through, this is going to be by far the biggest overpay of the summer by far. Uh, Gareth Crooks has done his team of the week uh, as expected. There's some nonsense. He's picked Edward Mendy, who gifted a goal. To Leicester. Made a couple of decent saves, but, you know, Leicester also hit the crossbar and he was all at sea. So, uh, no. Uh, Trent, yes. Virgil scored, but didn't really have any defensive work to do. Uh, He's picked Martinez because Martinez finally won some aerial duels. He managed to, to win aerial duels against Che Adams who's 5'9". But the problem with these aerial duels is they don't include the balls that were played in in front of Adams that Adams controlled and held them off and turned and got things moving. They only can, they only include the ones that Martinez actually contested. And there was a few he just backed off of and allowed free headers. You know, this is a guy that went three games without winning a single aerial duel and only contesting one. Uh, much bigger test coming than Che Adams for young Martinez. Uh, Bruno Fernandes didn't play all that well, but did score. Odegaard, yeah, fair enough. Bernardo, he sparked the comeback, so fair enough. Sterling got two. Firmino and Diaz were brilliant. And Haaland got a hat-trick. I'm not going to argue with them. But Mendy, absolutely not. And uh, I wouldn't have had Van Dijk in. I know he did score, but he, he didn't have a whole lot of defensive work to do. Bournemouth didn't offer any real threat. So, you know, um, let's do the gossip. We've got three days worth, so this should be good. Chelsea have reached an agreement to sign Wesley Fafana with the fee believed to be 70 million. I can only assume it's 70 million plus add-ons because 70 million is less than the second bid was, so that wouldn't really make a ton of sense. Leicester are considering a loan move for Manuel Akanji as a replacement for Fafana. That means one of two things. Either they're broke or they don't want to let Brendan Rodgers spend any money. If it's the latter, that makes sense. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's representative, George Mendes, has approached Napoli over, over a potential move. Um, there's a, an Osman for Ronaldo thing going around that just makes no sense at all for anyone. Uh, Gab Marcotti said that what he heard, but he doesn't believe it to be true, is that Napoli want $130 million and Cristiano for Osman, and they want United to pay 85% of his wages. Now, bearing in mind, United owe him $52 million over the next two years. There's a couple of months gone in this first year of the contract obviously um so he's earning he's earning two million a month 
No, two and a half million a month. Is it two million a month? Yes, two and a half million a month, I think he earns. So there's probably, there's probably 20 million left on this first year, say. Might be three million a month. Let's say there's, let's say there's 20 million left and 46 million. Uh, sorry, and 26 million for next season. So that's 46 million that United owe Cristiano, including the option that they can trigger for next year. So for Napoli, they want 85% of that paid, which is 39 million. So United would have to pay 130 million euro and give Cristiano for Osman and pay 39 million towards Cristiano's wages for the next two years and then pay Osman, who's going to want, I don't know, 250, 300 grand a week. If he has a look around United, he's going to want 300 grand a week because that's what everybody gets there, which is 15 million a year. Now, he's great and he would hugely improve them, but that would be such an appalling business deal. Uh, but then they've just done the Anthony deal, so nothing would surprise anybody. Um, Liverpool could offer Roberto Firmino in a, to PSG in exchange for Leandro Paredes. No, they wouldn't. Um, Chelsea's pursuit of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has stalled over personal terms. Manchester United have made another approach for Aubameyang. Chelsea are close to signing Arsene Zakarin, uh, young Russian midfielder from Dinamo Zagreb. It'd be great to see him on loan at um, Crystal Palace in, in 12 months. Uh, West Ham have agreed a deal for Lucas Paqueta. Celta Vigo have submitted an offer for Ben Brayton Diaz. Uh, Celtic and Denmark under 21 midfielder Matt O'Reilly is attracting the attention of Borussia Dortmund, Liverpool, Arsenal and Manchester United. I like Matt O'Reilly. He's really good for Celtic. Like, really good for Celtic. I'm not sure he's the level for Liverpool, Arsenal, United right now, but the talent is there. He's a, he's very promising. Moving on. Liverpool have a verbal agreement with Jude Bellingham for a potential move in January. Um... I, I don't even know what to say. Um, Pep Guardiola will be able to spend $100 million in the January transfer window if anyone catches his eye at the World Cup. Ajax are demanding United pay $84.8 million. That's what they've paid. That's fine. Uh, Ajax will approach Aston Villa about Anwar Al-Khazi. Jesus. He didn't leave Ajax under good circumstances the first time. Um, Manchester United striker Anthony Martial is set for talks over a contract extension. So there you go. You can be garbage at United for years, but do well in pre-season. They'll give you a new deal and a pay rise, most likely. Tottenham defender Sergio Regulon is close to sealing a loan move to Atletico Madrid. Looks like that one's done. Uh, Slovakia goalkeeper Martin Dubravka has told Newcastle he wants to leave and join Manchester United. Liverpool are monitoring Ruben Neves and Conrad Lamer. It's very unlikely they could get Neves. Aston Villa have reached an agreement to sign Jan Bednarak from Southampton. I think that might be a loan. 
Villa are planning on a move for Craig Dawson. Uh, there's, there's no chance that West Ham will let him go, I don't think. Chelsea are deciding whether to terminate Ross Barkley's contract with the 28-year-old currently on about 200 grand a week. 200 grand a week for Ross Barkley. That can't be right. Uh, West Ham are in talks with Adnan Yanazai, who is available on a free. Um, he's available on a free because he's not very really good, but, you know, a bit of depth on the wing. The Hammers are set to make a third bid for Hans Vanneken. Just give up at this point. Um, Wolves are stepping up negotiations with Stuttgart over a 17 million deal for Sasa Kaladzic. Did I get that right this time? I think I did. Um, Edinson Cavani, who is a free agent, is prioritising a move to La Liga. Bournemouth are planning to hijack Leeds deal to sign Zurich and Italy striker Willie Nanto. Uh, I'd imagine they'll go to Leeds because they've got an Italian owner and they're just a bigger, more wealthy club than Bournemouth. Um, Sheffield Wednesday are considering a move for Nottingham Forest English forward Alex Mighton on a season-long loan. That'd be a good deal for all parties. Brighton are interested in Rosario Central and Argentina Youth International. Facundo, I don't even have the first idea. He is an attacking midfielder. Um, I, I don't know him. He's been compared to Messi, which is, which just means he's an Argentinian kid. He actually, he looks like Pedri in, in the eyes. Pedri of Barcelona. He actually looks like him. I don't know anything about him. So, you know, if, if Brighton want him, I'm just going to go ahead and say he's probably super talented. Chelsea have revived their interest in Wilf Zaha, but Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang remains their number one priority. Um, I'm torn on this one. I'd love to see Zaha stay at Palace, but I don't want him to leave Palace on a free. I want Palace to get a fee from. Maybe they can get Conor Gallagher. Arsenal are also interested in signing Zaha. Should deals for Pedro Neto or Jeremy Pino fall through? There are no deals for these players. There's merely talks. Deals are when offers are made or when one club is willing to sell, which neither club is willing to do at the moment. Uh, I mean, this was written by... Michael Gammer. Never heard of him. Oh, no, sorry. It was the Done Deal Show. Uh, transfer expert, Dean Jones. Expert. Manchester United have also inquired about potential move for Bamian. We've had that. Uh, the agent of Cristiano has returned to Chelsea. Tuchel won't want him. Ajax are targeting Hakim Zayic as a replacement for Anthony. It'd be funny if they got him back at, you know, a massively reduced cost. I don't believe this one to be true. Chelsea have offered Armando Broya and Conor Gallagher plus 25 million for Anthony Gordon. Both Broya and Gallagher are significantly better footballers than Anthony Gordon. Callum Hudson-Odoi is to have his medical at Bayer Leverkusen after agreeing a season-long loan. Love that move. Barcelona and Netherlands midfielder Frankie de Jong is expected to stay at the new camp this summer. Liverpool are considering a move for Sander Burge and it may actually be true. Leicester and Everton are considering a late move for Al-Halil's 
Brazilian attacker Matias Pereira. Is that the, that's the fellow who was at um, who was at West Brom? Is that him? I'm amazed. It is. I'm amazed he's still over there. He's far too good to be playing for Al Halil. Like he was legitimately really good in the Premier League. Valencia are confident of beating Real Sociedad to the signing of Edinson Cavani. Sergio Regalón is set to join Atletico Madrid. Harry Winks is on his way to Sampdoria. Chelsea will be keeping Nathaniel Chalaba. Chelsea are hoping to sign Ronnie Edwards of Peterborough. I really hope he doesn't make that move. I really don't want him going there. Palace, I would love him at. Palace would be... I think the perfect move for him. Spezia are set to sign Ethan Ampadu on loan deal with an option to buy from Chelsea. And that's it. That's that. That's me for today, folks. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.